this morning we finish this great introductory message in Paul's letter to the Colossians. He begins this letter right off the bat with a bombshell of a statement that we will refer to, we'll reference again later in the message. We've walked through Paul's prayer for the Colossians. He prayed for their position, that they would stand solidly upon the truth of God, the truth of his word, the truth of the gospel, the truth of Christ. Who he is and what he has done. And from that solid position, being persuaded who he is, and fully aware of who Christ is, that they would indeed progress, that they would grow into maturity in Christ. And that we would live our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. That who we are, how we live, would be quickened, if you were, if you would, by the Holy Spirit. So I'd like to stop here for a moment and offer a little pop quiz. It's an important question for each of us to answer, and it really is what Paul is driving at in this extended passage. It has to do with your identity. What is your core identity? There are lots of things about us that are true and might be unique for us. But what is, or rather who, is our identity? I've listed a few. Politics, sexuality, issues pertaining to sexuality, ethnicity, lived experience. You could throw others in there as well, maybe career, what you've spent your life doing. We need to know that society, culture, will often tell us to define ourselves by those metrics, by things about us. And yet, the correct answer, by the way, is letter E. Christ. Our identity is Christ. It is who we truly are. Anything about us, anything else about us might be true and might be important, but it's not who we are. Christ defines us and Christ has the final say in our life. As Paul will later tell the Colossians, Christ who is your life. He is not a part of your life. He is not merely the most important one in your life. He is your life. As we preach through Ephesians, we reminded ourselves that A definition of a Christian is one who is is united with Christ. 
We've learned that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over creation. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is before all things. He created all things. He holds all things together. And all things were created for him. Now last week we were left with a bit of a cliffhanger. God has redeemed and God has reconciled us. But, what does that look like? He told us what is true about us. But this morning he will tell us what that looks like. My friend, it is a work that only Jesus could do. And only he could do it because of who he is. Because he is God. Now, before we break this down, I'd like to give us a little context. By using perhaps the most well-known and beloved hymn, John Newton puts to music the very concepts in the passage that we have been traversing through. Focus with me now on these well-known lyrics and see how gospel Rich, these lyrics truly are. The hymn is Amazing Grace, and they match or they mirror our passage in Colossians so beautifully. As I often say, I will read it, not sing it. Amazing Grace, let, let, let these just... I pour over you amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was lost, but now I'm found. T'was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. Precious, how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I've already come. T'was grace that has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Now, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind But now, but now I see. Why are these lyrics so moving? Why do they move us so deeply hundreds of years after they were written? Because John Newton spoke so beautifully to his own personal story, his testimony. 
And while the details, of course, vary, it's our story as well. They resonate with us. You likely know that Newton was a former slave trader who through repentance experienced God's grace in the gospel. The very thing that Paul is writing about, grace saved him and grace transformed him. It did not leave him where he was. He was different from the inside out. He greatly influenced William Wilberforce who fought the transatlantic slave trade in Parliament until his dying breath. He lived to see it overturned in his life days before he died. On his deathbed, unable to get up. It was whispered in his ear. That which you have fought for with every breath in your being, God has heard your prayers. Going back to John Newton, he actually wrote his own epitaph, 1807, which reads, John Newton, once an infidel, and libertine, or playboy, servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith that he had long labored to destroy. That's what Newton wants you to know about him. That's his story. I was blind, but now I see. Now, if there's one truth about the gospel that Americans often miss, it's this. Salvation is a gift. It is free indeed. You cannot earn it. You cannot merit it. You can't do anything to to buy it for yourself or else it wouldn't be grace. However, God's grace does not leave you as you were. God's grace is alive. It transforms. It changes. It sanctifies us. It makes us more like Christ. And sometimes there are mountaintops in which it is beautifully glorious. Most often it is in the mundane and it is painful. We are saved from both a penalty and from the power of our sin. And seeing as I have forgotten to read the sermon text, let us turn to Colossians chapter 1. It happens. Colossians chapter 1. This morning we'll read simply... The verses that we are addressing, beginning in verse 21. Speaking to the Colossians, having told them that God has reconciled and redeemed them, 
Having told them that God has made peace through the cross, he says this in verse 21. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, you can see what Newton was writing in this hymn just permeates in this text, or maybe it's the other way around. What Scripture says just permeates what Newton wrote. It's his story. Our sermon points this morning will be as follows. Very simple. Who we were, who we are now, and how we got there. Who we were, who we are now in Christ and how it is that we got to this place. So let's start at the beginning. This is where the gospel begins. The gospel announces that you and I are completely unlike God in this very crucial area. We are sinners and our sin separates us from God. We stand, John chapter 3 verse 18, currently under the wrath of God. His just condemnation, right after John chapter 3 verse 16. In verse 18, this is what scripture tells us. But there's more. Paul brings this out very nicely in his text. Regarding who we used to be, some of it we can see with our eyes, we can observe in ourselves and in other people, but some of it we can't. The fact is that we were under God's judgment That is clear by our own behavior and our disposition towards him. There's the evidence of what perhaps we can't see with our eyes, which is our standing or our position before God. Our behavior bore it out. There's evidence that in our minds we were hostile to the truth of God. To the truth of the gospel. Our lives were lived contrary to the truth of God. Now some of us were born again when we were young. You don't have a criminal rap sheet. You have not robbed any banks. We understand that. Nor did I actually. But... Until we are made right with God, be it young or old, we stand in enmity towards him. Even those who were not hardened criminals, if you will, but religious into their adult years, 
insisting to solve this by themselves, to do well, to do good, and to do better tomorrow, to make yourself a better person, and someday, surely God will let you in. It takes humility to accept what Christ has done for us on the cross. Notice Paul's words. He addresses the the Colossians' lifestyle before they became Christians. Verse 21. You were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Your life bore out who you were. This was certainly true, certainly true for the Colossians. They were a society that certainly lived apart from and without God. This is very similar to what Paul told the Ephesians in chapter 2. Listen to these first few verses. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You walked that walk. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and what is hatched in the mind. And were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. But saints... What comes next? But God. But God. This is the greatest interposition known to man in the history of ever. It is the sweetest sound to our ears. God stepped in. God stepped in and did for us that which we could never accomplish ourselves what has God done God has reconciled us to him we were far from God and God brought us near the penalty and the power of sin has been removed we have fellowship with God now there is no barrier between us And God, we have eternal life. We've been gifted with an inheritance in heaven that no one can take away from us. Now look at that tremendous transformation. God saves us from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin. God is going to present us above reproach. That's forgiveness. Only God can do that. 
Only God can work in our lives and transform us from the inside out. Such a switch from being under his righteous judgment. We are declared not guilty, innocent, with the righteousness of God himself. My friends, this is our identity. This defines us. This is who we are. We are in Christ. We belong to him. We are now serving him. And here's the beautiful thing, the truth of the gospel. There is evidence to support this astounding statement that I am forgiven. That evidence is God's work in my life. The New Testament clearly teaches that those who have been born again have God's life in them. And there will be fruit that is evident to all of that life that is now inside of us. We are not who we used to be. Oh, we stumble. And oh, we trip. And we get sidetracked. And we get discouraged. And at times, I'm sure we want to throw in the, the towel. We do not always get it right. We wander. But we're not the same. And God is faithful. Paul makes a very interesting statement. It's a conditional clause. He says, if you continue on. This is true of you. If you continue on. That part is so important. Because God's work for us is not disconnected from his work in us. The sense of that clause in the original is basically this. If indeed you continue on and you will. Because God is at work in you. God is faithful. God will complete the work that he started in us. He will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1 verse 6. Our assurance grows as we see this work of grace in our lives. We're not being introspective. We're not being morbid and, and, and analyzing everything. But we see that God is at work. We see the trajectory of our life is not the same that it was before. We see that we struggle and we war with sin. We were walking in this direction and now we're walking in another direction. Praise God for that. That is the greatest miracle, in my opinion, is seeing lives changed and transformed. Now, here's the question. How did we get here? As who we were, it's who we are now, but how did we get here? By our efforts, by checking off Sunday attendance at church perfectly, by trying harder the next day, by, do, by summoning all of our best efforts to be the best version of Colin that you can possibly be, or insert your name please. No. God did it. That's grace. That is the astounding truth of the gospel. This was God's work. It was not our work. We 
but receive. Saints, remember, there's a little phrase right in the middle of our text. He says, in his body, by Jesus' death. That's how we are reconciled. Reconciled in his body by his death. We have peace with God through the shed blood of Christ. Never undersell this gospel truth. The cross is non-negotiable. The cross is where my sin, not in part, but in full, my sin and the justice of God and the mercy of God and the love of God collide. And it's where we go for safety. It is where we go for forgiveness. Jesus showed his love for me by surrendering, surrendering himself to death, even death on the cross. And there was the Son of God, curled up, nailed to a cruel Roman cross, struggling to breathe and covered in his own blood. This, my friends, is the heart and soul of all that we profess and all that we live for. It is why Paul is pounding this home. It is why he did the same with the Ephesians and the same with the Romans and the same with the Philippians. This is the gospel. As believers, we, we gladly receive pushback and persecution as others have because he is worthy. Christ came Christ rescued us. Christ laid down his life. God reconciled us to him through Christ. Now look at this picture. This is Joyce's mom. I cannot take away her sorrows. Nor can I and nor would I ever attempt to diminish her grief I would have written the story completely differently if I were writing the story right around now Joyce would probably be coming home for a furlough and reporting to us all the cool things she gets to do but God in his mercy wrote the story differently Joyce made preparations, as I've said, for 10 years to go to the mission field. She spent a year or two in language study over there. She trained on the field. She was two weeks in to what she thought would be her forever calling, her forever, or not forever, but long-term, lifetime calling and career, and that is flying airplanes. She also, by the way, was their IT specialist, so she also, with her right hand, was protecting their whole, whatever, system from crashing. 
She spent two weeks flying solo, the gateway to her career, and then she died. So here's my question. Was it worth it? Is he worthy? Is he worthy of our very best? Of our very best efforts? Of our careful attention to detail? Is he worthy of our faithfulness in gospel ministry? Is he worthy even if he in his great providence requires my life of me? Saints, I hope you answer with me, yes, he is worthy. He is more than worthy. Let us worship and serve him with great fervor. Let us remove the distractions and the sin that so easily entangles, distracts, and pulls us down. Let us love one another with great intentionality, bearing one another's burdens. Let us be salt and light to a world that is dead in their own sins, to a world that is deceived. Amen? This is what Paul is writing to. Praise God for his mercy and his kindness and for the gospel. You cannot separate the person and the work of Christ. You cannot separate what God has done for us and what God is doing in us. Let us not be spectators, but fully engaged. And may he fill us with great joy as we serve and follow him. Praise God for so great salvation. Jesus Christ, the captain of our faith. God with us. Emmanuel. Praise God for the blood of Jesus. For redemption. For reconciliation. For peace. My restless soul and the one who made me. Remember chapter 3 verse 17. Do all things to the glory of God. Do all things to the glory of God. The big things you face, but honestly, the mundane things that you do every single day. Diapers, taking out the trash, cleaning the kitchen, all those things. Do it for the glory of God. Because your whole life is different. Your whole perspective on everything is different. I'd like us to close this morning with the jaw-dropping statement that we can be quick to overlook. Go back, if you would, to chapter... Well, you're still in chapter 1. Go back to the beginning of chapter 1. There's something that we sometimes overlook... It's at the beginning of the letter. In fact, you'll find it in other New Testament epistles as well. Second half of verse 1. Well, the beginning, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. 
So he's told you who he is. Now he's going to tell you who you are. The very first thing, the first thing that Paul says to the saints. To the saints. There's a whole lot of theology in that one word that is distinctly gospel theology. We are not saints. We do not become saints if we live a really, 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 really virtuous life. And somebody declares us that. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are a saint. It is not your performance that got you that title, it's Christ's performance. Fulfilling the law and laying down his life for you. And you've believed in him. And you have received that free gift of eternal life. My brothers and my sisters, let us live in freedom, drenched in the power of the Spirit, clothed with love to one another, And eager to share the good news with others. Let's pray together, would you? Most gracious Heavenly Father, yet again, we're gathered in your name. Gathered together with those who love you, who have a story. who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Our prayer is always that if there is but one person in our midst, within the sound of my voice, who has not turned to Jesus Christ, believe that he died And rose again on their behalf. That he took their sin upon himself. That today would be that day. That they abandon all of their own efforts. And trust. That Jesus and his blood is sufficient. Oh, Lord, we have so many voices coming at us, telling us who we are, telling us what we need to be outraged about or worried about. Lord, today and this week, may our mind be set upon you. And may we experience that unspeakable peace and unspeakable joy that comes as we remind ourselves who you are. Remind ourselves and learn more about who we are in Christ. We give you thanks and praise. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.